Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, we sit down for a chat with singer-songwriter Lena Bell. That's coming up. But first, you know we've been spending this entire month talking about Curtis King, who hailed from Iowa back in the 1800s. He fought in the Civil War at the age of 80. What an amazing American story. He actually saw George Washington several times in his life, in person, and he remarked that he rarely saw him smile, but I mean... Have you seen the guy's teeth? I don't know that if I were George Washington, I would do much smiling either. Well, in honor of this unique American, Curtis King, American Pride Roasters Coffee founder Dave Matthews has created a unique blend of smooth, full-city roasted Ethiopian beans blended with a bold, sweet French roasted Sumatran bean. I mean, it is just another awesome brew from APR. If you'd like to try the Curtis King blend or any of the other blends that I'm partial to, like the George Washington Carver, oh, with that peanut butter infusion, uh, the Calvin Coolidge, and of course, the At The Mike Show blend with those uh, macadamia nuts, you got to check that out as well. I hope you'll get over to aprcoffee.com, use promo code ATM, get yourself 10% off your order. That's aprcoffee.com, promo code ATM. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. This week on At The Mic, my guest is Lena Bell. We discovered that we have a lot in common and a lot not in common. But either way, it made for a great conversation on this week's edition of At The Mic. Joined today by Lena Bell. And Lena, I will just say up front, I know so very little about you. We are going to learn everything today. I will say this, though. Very few of these podcasts that I've done have earned a COVID warning label from Spotify, but I'm going to go ahead and predict that actually this may be one of those such episodes uh, because that's how I came to know who you were was around Christmas time, you did a song. um, It's beginning to look a lot like fascism, and you did a great job with that. It really struck a nerve with people. Uh, Anyway, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So had you had any songs like that that you had done before then? Was this your first kind of parody type song? Uh, it got a lot of attention. Tell us about <laughs> about that, because like I said, that's that's the genesis of where I was introduced to you. Yeah, so maybe it wasn't my first parody song, although it was one of the first. One time I did just a little clip for TikTok where I was just, I sang a little thing where I was like, do you need dating apps or do you just need a therapist and to call your friends? <laughs> so I had sung that one time. So I was kind of tinkering with it because I follow different comedians and it's just um fun to do stuff like that. But it's not actually my normal content usually. Right. Yeah. Right. It- and the more I got to know you, it was interesting because it looks like, from my vantage point, just on the surface, that you and I would have very little in common. But when it came to losing our freedoms, oh my gosh, there's definitely going to be some common ground there. Yeah, so my music base is a little bit more of like the mindfulness, kind of spiritual, transformational festivals scene. Eclectic, huh? Yeah, it's like it's like um people who do go to like yoga and transformational festivals and high vibe gatherings and stuff. So that's kind of like my standard kind of music base, but then okay. when I basically just started feeling our rights being taken away more and more and more in terms of the mandates and um just that pressure was mounting and mounting and mounting, I knew I had this like agreement with the universe that, okay, when it's really time for me to come out more about this, uh, let me know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got this idea that just popped into my head, like it's beginning to look a lot like fascism. <laughs> it was like the beginning of like the Christmas season lead up that um, sometimes when you're not in the mood for like Christmas carols, 
and you just start hearing them everywhere. You're just like, oh my God. <laughs> that was kind of like the feeling because I, there were so many people who have just like, if you haven't got the shot, you should, you know, burn in hell or whatever. <laughs> and like, there was just so much intensity around it. And yeah. all over the world, they were trying to get these fines, like monthly fines in Quebec and different countries. And then they were starting to ban people from public transport. And it was just getting really bad. And I was like, Okay, it's time. So it just came, <laughs> it came time. to me like it's beginning to look a lot like fascism. I was like, okay, I have to drop everything right now and just write this and do it. So basically, I was working on a web page for my album and I was like, no, this is putting to the side right now. So I just sat there and started writing the lyrics and I wrote the whole thing in maybe like an hour or something. Oh, wow. And then I was like, I have to film it right now. Because, you know, it's like when you're going to do something bold, you kind of just like have to do it. Like right then, right. <laughs> you know, because like, I have yep. the energy for this right now. And like if you delay something sometimes, like it just won't happen. So I was like, OK, let me do it. And then should I write keyboards to it? Because I also play a keyboard. And I was like, should I mm. play the chords? And I was like, no, it's going to take too long to learn all the chords and create some like whole production out of it. So I was like, no, I'm going to sing it a cappella. I'm going to dress in like a nice dress with pearls that's like very Christmassy. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. So I just like did it. I filmed it and then I posted it like the next morning. First on Instagram, a few days later on YouTube. I was like, oh, I might as well put it on YouTube as well. And a lot of people were sharing it, but it took a little while for it to blow up. Mm. People were sharing it, sharing it. And then it just started gaining steam and like, I guess bigger influencers start sharing it to their telegram groups and then it got taken it got taken and uploaded to all these different channels like without crediting <laughs> me too so i was oh, like no. yeah there were tons of those and i was like oh, i should have put my handle in the video some people then reposted my youtube video and one of those people was dr malone so dr malone dr. robert malone yeah yeah dr malone when he still had a twitter at like five hundred thousand. <laughs> followers he shared the um the youtube video so that was really That's cool great. and then he That's like great. formally welcomed me into the resistance <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. cool yeah hey thank you so much for sharing and he was like strong work lena bell welcome to the resistance <laughs> i was like i really that felt that cool. i was like awesome <laughs> that is awesome so i don't know how old you are but you're obviously really young and i wonder and you would be able to speak to this a lot better than myself but it feels like and i don't i don't do politics on this podcast in fact i specifically set up this podcast because my day job that's all i do is every day i have to talk about uh the world that is setting itself on fire uh every hour on the hour so i set this podcast up just so i could talk to people about you know anything but but i really wanted to talk to you because I wanted to ask you and kind of get a temperature of the room for young people, because it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if, if it's not your observation, but it does seem like more and more young people are waking up to the fact that our rights are being taken at such a rapid pace, and the pandemic almost seemed like that excuse to set fire to the Constitution once and for all. And I just wonder, are people that, I assume you're in your 20s, uh, are, are people waking up at that age that maybe normally during good times wouldn't be paying as close attention to what's going on around them? What I've noticed about, we'll say like the pro-freedom, anti-mandate community is that it really spans all over age groups. So I was more used to older people in my family kind of being more um, aligned with the narrative, we'll say. Um, so I mm -hmm. was kind of under the impression that it was more younger people, but then when I went out to some of these events, like anti-mandate events, there were actually a lot of elders and people of all ages, so I found that interesting. I'm actually, I'm in my late 20s, so I'm a okay. millennial. I'm not as tapped into Gen Z, except on TikTok. <laughs> so I am on, <laughs> I, I am on TikTok. A TikTok carve out. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing about TikTok, which is like my main 
at this point way of interacting with Gen Z. I have I know a few Gen Z people outside of TikTok, but most but the interesting thing about like TikTok or something like that is you get really insulated in whatever you're into at the time. So I don't know if it's um how accurate I can be with uh describing like that generation as a whole, you know, because you really get into your own group of what sure. you're really into. Because there's definitely a lot of like young people, especially Gen Z, who are starting to get into communism and stuff. Also yeah, because of like the CCP propaganda on TikTok and all of like woke culture, which I have some experience in woke culture and I actually was really into like Bernie Sanders and was very like far left and was very into like um, learning about the history of natives in this country and what has happened with black people in this country. And I think I learned a lot from that. And that's why I really like to have both right and left now and Mm -hmm. not be too um, into one side or the other because when you're too attached to one side, then you miss big parts of the whole picture but then the thing about woke culture is it just goes too far and i think got infiltrated by other forces with a different agenda to try to i guess divide people and also get them into marxism and stuff which i'm not down (laughs) for but yeah yeah no so i just i want to ask you because you were born in san diego grew up nearby yeah. You're still in that area there? I know you're in California. Yeah, I'm in uh, North County, San Diego. So you've been there for your entire life. Is so, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Did, did I get that wrong? Well, um, I was born and raised here, and then I went to school in Rochester, New York, upstate right, New York. Right, right, okay. And right. I also well, lived a year in Michigan, and I also have okay. lived in Paris for a little bit. And then wow. I, I lived in New York City for a few years, but... I've been back in San Diego since the beginning of 2020. Okay. Okay. So here's my question. As someone who's been around California for the majority of your life, let's say, uh, and now back there today, uh, living it uh, here in 2022, is California a lost cause? Because it seems like, uh, and I don't know all of my California politics very well, are you in more of a conservative area of California, where you live? So it's an interesting question um, because everybody was saying, like, California is so bad, California is so bad. And I didn't Mm -hmm. feel it as much where I am. I think it really depends where you are. There are more right-wing areas. I do think, like, Carlsbad has a little bit more of a right-wing presence. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, Carlsbad is where the Let Them Breathe group is based. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've been to their um, gatherings and stuff, and they have a super strong, you know, foundation here. So there are a lot of like really powerful moms and dads and stuff (laughs) who are like, who are not having it, right? And then there are all these kids in like Carlsbad schools and schools around this area who've been like protesting the mask uh, mandates and stuff and have been like refusing to wear it lately and putting pressure in that way. So, and the other thing that was really cool about Carlsbad was that during, like, I would say the second wave, um, I think, like, the last part of 2020, right? Like, that kind of wintry time of 2020, there was this, like, second wave, right? And Mm -hmm. the restaurants at the first wave had totally closed down, right? And people were just having takeout. Um, And then they opened a little bit outside. And obviously, these things have been changing back and forth this whole time. And that's part of the the plan to kind of destabilize us. But (laughs) but uh, there was this time when and it tends to happen in the winter because more people get sick in the winter anyways. But there's something about like wanting to prevent us from having our holiday gatherings. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Around the winter time, there was this mandate in California where it was like really strict. We were not allowed to have even any outdoor seating, which in California in the winter, you can be outdoors. I mean, in especially in Southern California around San Diego, it's we don't have a winter, so you can be outdoors. But they weren't <laughs> even letting them be outdoors at all, not even with masks, not even. So basically, this whole group of Carlsbad restaurants just said no, and they just banded together and they said, we are peacefully protesting 
So we're expressing our First Amendment right to peacefully protest. So we're opening as a peaceful protest. And because the Constitution wow. protects our right to peacefully protest, then uh, because it was labeled a peaceful protest, it's expression of your rights. And so basically all of these Carlsbad restaurants were open. And um, even though it wasn't even allowed to have any any seating they even had indoor seating and they were still doing masks and stuff like when you go mm -hmm. in and out um but they were open and that was like that's great really cool there were tons of restaurants tons of them like wow. they really banded together so that was really cool and i felt hmm. good about being in carlsbad for yeah. that reason yeah flickers of hope then uh in the golden state that's really great so yeah. you alluded to how you've lived in so many places uh, what was it like living in Paris? How old were you when you were in Paris? So I was in Paris when I was 20. In, um, okay, okay. Yeah, in, in college. So okay, I, gotcha. I did um, like a semester abroad in Paris. Oh, and, that's fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was really yeah. fun. And uh, I, I loved it. Yeah, I've been, I do speak French. I actually was hanging out with some French people last night and I, Realized how rusty my French is. Oh no! <laughs> and, I was like, uh, and I was like, I have to watch more TV shows in French again. <laughs> That's how you brush up. Yeah. That is. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, that that's fascinating. That that you can pick up on so much just by, just by watching these shows in another language. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So you went to uh, the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. Now I'm gonna mm -hmm. tell you what I envision when I hear somebody went to a music school, and you tell me how wrong I am, okay? But okay. but in my mind's eye, whenever I hear that, I just envision, I I always envision this hallway with musicians or students, students slash musicians carrying their instruments from class to class, and you know I feel bad for the tuba kid. <laughs> and uh, and I just that's what I that's what I see. I'm sure it's not like that. But tell me, what are the different classes like? Is it is every class? Are you playing an instrument or some of it? Is it just like listening to music and music theory and stuff like that? What is it like to go to a school where all of your classes are focused in one way or another? On music. Yeah, so, so we definitely <laughs> had a lot of music theory and music history. Yeah. And, it, you know, now you're bringing back oh, the memories. Cool. They're, yeah, oh. music theory was really intense at Eastman. And we had to, oh, you know, there, there's this funny, it, it's just funny to think back on the memories because there's such a high pressure situation because it's such a, like, high achieving place. Um, mm -hmm. But we had to write these, like, deep in-depth papers on Wagner and and oh, wow. on uh, Tristan and his old which is a Wagner opera and we had to analyze uh the the chords and 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 but it's more than the chords like analyze the themes and like you know write a whole paper a very long paper about it and so uh there was a lot of like deep analysis of uh different eras of classical music and as a vocalist I also was required to take languages because opera singers have to sing in in Italian German French, oh my. French English yeah so it's like the first year you take Italian and you take Italian diction which is how to pronounce and um, and also Italian language then the second year you do German yeah. the third year you do French yeah, so for vocalists, you're doing the languages and you're also doing the music theory. Some people are also uh, taking like piano class. I had secondary piano because I was already proficient like in piano. Um, mm -hmm. And then you also, you do take your ensemble class. So that's where you're playing your instrument um, or singing. So I was in like choirs all the time. If you're a string player, you would be in the orchestras. Um, and then you have your weekly lesson with your private teacher one-on-one. -on -one, and that's really like your mentor throughout the experience. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of cool to have that because I think not every school necessarily you have like a close mentor the whole time. So I think that's a cool aspect of it that you have a really, you have a closer one-on-one -on -one relationship with a mentor so that was cool. And then we okay. had our studio class, which is uh, when you 
gather with all the people with that private teacher and you do performances and you kind of like critique each other, give each other tips and and stuff like that, practice performing. Mm. And then you have like your uh, performances, recitals, maybe twice a year or more. I was um, actually a music education major. So I also then took music education classes and then I did my student teaching at the end. All right. Wow. So not not instruments in the hallway. It doesn't <laughs> but, sound like. But the cool, <laughs> like the fun thing about music school, and Eastman was a pretty small school, so there were like 500 uh-huh. undergrads. So it's like really a small community, and you know everyone, which is fun. And also, everybody's like a music nerd, right? So people <laughs> like listen to orchestral music for fun and follow with the score <laughs> for fun. And um, or <laughs> like the other thing that's unique to music schools, you'll be eating dinner and then, oh, I'm going to go practice. And they're like, I'm going to go practice too. And then you just go over to the practice rooms and like everybody's goes to practice because practicing is a big part of it. And you mm. have these little practice rooms that are almost like oh, wow. little jail cells. No, it's like, but oh. they're like little, they're not like super nice necessarily, the practice rooms. They're soundproof, but, I bet, huh? Uh, not totally not. But, oh, so no. you're hearing you're hearing oh, different oh, no. stuff, and it was funny because I went to Interlochen Arts Academy for senior year of high school, and that's like an arts boarding school in Michigan. And um, what was funny about that is that the practice rooms were actually underneath the dorms. So like there was this girl who played tuba who would always play directly under me. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. And sometimes I would think it was like my phone vibrating. (laughs) It was just a deep (laughs) tuba tuba sound. Who designed that building? That's that's poor planning. Okay, (laughs) so I have no idea. This next question I'm going to ask you, I have no idea where this is going to go. Because like I alluded to earlier in our conversation, I think that you and I are probably very, very different. But that's part of the fun of, of having these conversations. But... You got to help me understand, you said you're a healer, right? Isn't that part of, of what you do? You're a healer, and then you list all of these different areas of healing. You got to explain this stuff to me. Yeah. Um, so in calling myself a healer is just kind of a way to characterize it, but um, I would say any healer is just holding space and allowing the person space to heal themselves right so Mm. um i don't like to be too much of a savior about it you know um so where to begin (laughs) um yeah so (laughs) okay hold on how how about we go through these and and if i if i if i pronounce something incorrectly you stop me uh reiki reiki yeah what's that so reiki is a method um that was coined by a japanese man um but it's not just a japanese technique it's actually it's something that's been present in many many ancient cultures or basically you tap into pure energy from source essentially and you channel it through usually your hands and Mm. um basically help to cleanse and balance a person's aura and emotional field and um, so it's very effective and some if you've never experienced it it's interesting I um, and I can do it remotely as well which is interesting because energy functions above time and space like it's like you can pray for people who are not around you it's a similar concept um you can send this energy to anybody as long as there's a consent involved in it as well. Uh, oh. But one time my mom had like back pain and she was like, oh, try some Reiki on me. And I was like on the other side of the room and I didn't really get up and I was just doing the Reiki <laughs> from the other side of the room. And Wait she started minute, like, like, yeah, she started <laughs> really feeling like more relaxed and the pain was easing. And she was like, what? This is crazy. Cause she's not, she's not a person that was, would uh-huh. always be believing in that originally, but she felt it. Yeah, so, but, but how, yeah. how did she feel about you sitting on the other side of the room? That feels like a, a, a lazy Reiki. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get up and I know, get and over she here. She felt like that, but then she was like, wait, are you going to do it? And then I was like, oh, I'm doing it from here. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm not getting up. I'm not changing the channel. Yeah, yeah, I like that. What is soul retrieval? My goodness, that sounds mm. intense. Yeah, soul retrieval, it's because um, shamanic journeying practice where you're basically journeying into the astral realm, which is similar to like your dream realms. Mm. There are different ways to do it, but the way that I do it is basically going into that realm and communicating with spirit in that way through symbolism. So different guides or um, characters might show up, like different animal guides or um, spirit guides. And um, you basically... sounds intense. Yeah, you basically work with them to um, go back into... Most of the time, it's the person's past. And to find places where they have essentially left their energy in certain places so you when you experience soul loss it's like a piece of your essence has been left in a situation so some people might say like i've never felt the same since this particular event or like since this person left me it feels like they left with pieces of me or um you know since this traumatic event in my childhood uh, I haven't felt the same or or I stopped singing after this. It can be as small as like somebody told me I sound terrible. So I just lost, you know, the will to express after that. So utilizing this technique, you can basically bring those parts of yourself back so that you can be fully integrated again. Mm. Emotional release technique. What do we got going on there? Yeah, emotional release technique. Um, that was actually the first healing modality that I started on my journey of energy healing um, about 10 years ago. And I learned it from this book, The Emotional Code by Dr. Bradley Nelson. It's basically a technique. So through muscle testing, you can basically ask your automatic nervous system slash unconscious mind slash higher self, you could say, you can ask this this part of your mind that is aware of everything that goes on in your body, but your your conscious mind is just a tiny spotlight on what's actually going on in your brain because you don't have to tell your heart to beat, right? You don't have to, but your your entire un- brain, right, is aware of, of like everything going on in your body, um, tells your cells to keep reproducing and stuff like that. And your conscious mind is not necessarily aware of all that. So you can go in through muscle testing and ask, uh, questions, yes or no questions, because basically when you say something true, you are momentarily stronger in that moment. And if you say something false, you're momentarily weaker so technically, it could be a way to tell if someone's lying to, if they consent to be muscle tested. Wow. <laughs> Basically, your body can, stores energies. Are, all of matter vibrates in frequency, right? So atoms are 99.9% empty space, and even a solid is constantly vibrating. So what mm. we view as solid is actually mostly vibration, <laughs> Uh, so everything that's involved in your body and in matter at its core is vibration and the matter is formed around the vibration. So if, if you have a certain energy that you felt that you didn't really fully express and it got trapped in your body, then it can form, start forming disease over time. It can help with habits or like if you have a self-sabotaging habit that kind of repeats and you don't realize it's because something happened when you were 10 and you trapped this energy around it and then when you release that then you have a new space to form some new uh relationship with that or something if you get into a car accident and you're like afraid of driving after that you can release emotions around that and then it can feel better to drive again or stuff like that so it's really cool um I've done a lot of it on myself. I continue to release emotions for myself and I work with others on that and it really helps them to to open up in in their lives and let go of the past and stuff like All that. Right. Okay. So you enjoy yoga, you enjoy getting out in nature, going on hikes. 
Obviously, music is a big part of your life. You're a singer-songwriter. When you get ready to write a song, and you alluded to it earlier with the uh, fascism song, like, do you do you just sit down and say, all right, I got to write down what's rattling around in my head right now? Uh, do you slowly assemble it uh, as different lyrics uh, come to you in different musical arrangements? How do you go about that? I think having time to improvise is a good way to get that flowing if people are wanting to start songwriting it's good to start free flowing then lyrics and melodies start coming to you and then when you stumble upon gold right when something comes to you and you're like oh wow <laughs> that's that's it you know something like i need really need to do something with that and you might think oh this is sounds kind of like a chorus or this sounds kind of like a verse and if you know song form then there's a time when you're like, okay, let me actually sit down and edit this into a full song. So if you have like an idea for a chorus, then you kind of flush it out and then you start fleshing out the verses. Like, what do I really want to say with this? And then you put a bridge in. And then there's the moment when you have a little bit of discipline to say, okay, let me finish this song. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think there's a certain um, gumption to actually completing it. So that requires more willpower, I think, to really completing the production, getting it mastered, submitting it, releasing it into the world. Okay. Yeah. I know that you are obviously a recording artist. I think you've got some new music out now. Where can people find your stuff? What's going on with you these days? Yeah, so I have a full album people can listen to on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and all that. It's called Nature Knows. Uh -huh. And you can find me by searching Lena Bell, L-E-N-A-B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. If you want to get some really cool merch and uh, exclusive tracks and stuff like that, then you can go to shop.lenabellmusic.com. So L-E-N-A-B-E-L-L-E shop.lenabellmusic.com my instagram is lenabellmusic twitter lenabellmusic i'm on tiktok as well lenabellmusic underscore love on tiktok and wow. yeah you can connect with you, me mm -hmm. you're ubiquitous i would say it sounds like that you're everywhere i'm everywhere <laughs> uh-huh very cool so uh if you could keep five possessions uh very practical very practical uh, items here. A water filter. That's smart. That's real smart. I never thought of that one. A knife. A fire starter. Seeds. See, no one has ever said that on this podcast. <laughs> and, of course, the most practical item of the five, your guitar. Yeah. <laughs> you got to entertain yeah. yourself, right? So, I mean, even if you're, you, have, you have the water filter to survive, the knife, the fire starter, the seeds to grow food, I mean, all this very practical, but at the end of the day, you still got to have your guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That makes sense. Okay. Here's another answer we haven't gotten on this podcast. If you could go back in history, who would you like to meet? You list Mary Magdalene. I'm intrigued. What drew you to that answer? So Mary Magdalene, and this can be a bit of a controversial topic for depending on who <laughs> is the audience, but she's a very misunderstood character. And I'm not going to say I know the absolute truth, but I do know um, that she has some books in the Bible that were edited out. Mm -hmm. So there were books of Mary Magdalene. And some say that she was a high priestess in... Um, basically the cult of Isis, the Egyptian tradition of Isis, and that Jesus was actually studying within that tradition. He was in Egypt for a period of time. Nobody has to believe this. That's just a, a lot of people um, say this. And there is evidence that um, she has books in the Bible that were discarded, uh, edited, censored, one might say. <laughs> there has been some, some censorship throughout history. Oh, yeah, especially of women. I mean, yeah. that, that's just a fact. Uh, women were a part of Jesus's ministry, and that's just a fact. But there are more male fingerprints on the Bible over the centuries uh, than female fingerprints. So it, it's just it's something to consider. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the big controversies has always been, well, what if Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married? Mm -hmm. And and for a lot of people, 
there's no mention in the Bible that they were married. Nothing suggests that. You don't have to believe that they were married. I'm not suggesting that they were. But I just find it so baffling that so many people get their feathers ruffled at the mere consideration of that. Because would it change one's faith? What difference would it make if Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married to to an individual's faith in Christ? And I just, um, I've just always found that really interesting of how so many people um, over the years have have gotten really upset at just the mere suggestion that that would be even possible. Totally, and if anything, it would bring more confidence into the sacrament of marriage and right? into right. like the importance of the nuclear family and the idea mm-hmm. that you can be so connected to God and also have a family and that those things aren't mutually exclusive, that maybe having a family is part of the sacred path with God, you know, so I, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's been censorship for millennia and it used to be books and it still is books, but primarily it was books and now it's the internet, it's social media and the news. And so I think it's always good to question, question everything and listen to all sides of any type of a uh, perspective or debate and then make your own decision in regards to to anything but i think if someone is pushing something and saying you can't question it that's where some red flags come up for me especially when these different rulers in the past have used religion to control the masses uh it's very easy to like infiltrate and take over different positive movements and use them for your own benefit and when you are saying okay i'm gonna edit this book to be exactly the way i accept it to be and then you have to follow everything to the t in it and not question any aspects of it that is questionable for me when you ask questions it tends to make your faith stronger i would Mm -hmm. think i wonder the stuff that you mentioned earlier with the uh with the uh healing that many people would hear and say, all right, that is that is out there. That is not compatible with my worldview or my faith. Um, the different uh, elements that you mentioned of the uh, Reiki, the soul retrieval, emotional release technique. Is it compatible? Are those, are those techniques compatible with someone who is listening that's also of the Christian faith? Do you see any kind of conflict in those two realms? Personally, I don't, but it really depends what that individual person's relationship with their faith is. And I would always Mm -hmm. say, you know, go deep into your heart and your own relationship with God and decide for yourself. And you should never let somebody, any type of religious leader who's a person, right? Because a person is going to be fallible determine exactly what you feel and believe so connect with your own connection to god and the way that we interpret god can be slightly different the way we might view god as a man or a woman or a tree or but it's very elementary human perspective to even be personifying something as limitless as god to have these type of characteristics but it helps us to interpret right so different faiths have just a different way of like translating the pure source the infinite power of god so you might have different names you might have different ways of describing it but ultimately that's a relationship between you and your source you and god so nobody can tell you exactly what to believe what to feel what to think and you have to really go on an inward journey to find what is really true for you and what like if you feel in your body that your heart lights up or you feel intrigued by something and you feel in your heart and your body like yes that's something to explore then do it and if you feel like something in your body like a gut feeling like don't go to that event or ceremony or don't listen to that person then don't that's what i think i do like where you talk about your bucket list and i think we all want to (laughs) be financially free to do whatever we want to do in a creative sense. Uh, for you, obviously, we'd lean toward the songwriting uh, 
aspect. And and I just love this, how you're like, I want to do this stuff while other people handle the logistics and admin stuff. I tell you <laughs> what, you figure that out. You let me know because I'm of the same mindset because I just hate how much time ends up getting lost, getting bogged down in and like you say, the, the logistics and the admin stuff. But being that you're in your 20s still, do you have a timetable? I, I once had an individual in my life who would talk about have a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan. And of course, every time I would sit down and, and write out this proposed timeline, it sounded good in my head. Oh my gosh. Uh, it, it, it never stuck to the script. So <laughs> what's your big plan to uh, to take over the world, Lena? Yeah, well, I definitely have big goals and that can be sometimes a source of stress if I'm not to the exact <laughs> yeah, level right? that I want to be at by a certain time frame. But I think there's also an element of surrender to that divine timing and um, what is really meant for you. So uh, for me, I, I definitely, I'm excited that this album is out. I just want to keep creating more music, keep playing more shows, and keep growing the fans and keep keep uh, just connecting and, and bringing love into the world through music, love, and awakening. I have had these super, super huge goals, and I still have them, but I think I'm starting to focus more on enjoying life now and creating healthy habits to just feel balanced and healthy now and enjoy the shows that I play and enjoy the connections that I make, enjoy playing music rather than having it always be about some gigantic goal in the future. So I want to enjoy the process more and allow the unfolding, but I definitely want to be financially free where I'm getting like passive income through Spotify, through uh, maybe royalties with my songs and movies and films and TV shows and things like that. And and then just be able to play music and sure. garden, have an herb garden, have a rose garden, travel. Yeah, get back to Paris, right? Yeah. So as a millennial who has this kind of hope for the future, the unprecedented times that we are currently living through, would you say that compared to your mindset just over two years ago, are you more hopeful, less hopeful, about the same amount of hope? And, and, and so there's two questions. How are you doing as far as your outlook on the future? And how would you say your generation's outlook is at this time, if you can speak to that? Yeah, I think those are definitely two different things, right? So I believe that we are all one, we're infinite, and this one life is very small uh, blip, uh, a little wink in the, in the vastness of eternity. So it, it, when you zoom out like that, it's not so much of a big deal where you have these like fatalistic viewpoints. You can then have a little bit more fun with life because you're like, hey, I'm just in this body now. I'm not this body. I'm not this mind, but I'm in this body. So I can mm. have fun while I'm here and create magic, beautiful things. So I kind of partially see this life as sort of a video game where you can also really create what you want to create. And if you're really in charge of your creations a little bit more and a little bit more at the steering wheel, then you can realize like, well, what do I want to speak into the future? Because sometimes the, we'll say, parasitic elites uh, that are like the 0.01% who want to imprint a certain future upon us, they need us to co-create that future with them. So they'll hmm. do they'll do like the subliminal programming, the predictive programming and, and TV, and they'll, they'll have this fatalistic thing um like the world is gonna end and the climate change and this 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 and and uh, so a lot of people are falling prey to this fatalistic viewpoint a lot of millennials and gen z think oh it's not safe to have children which is totally uh sad and it's very socially engineered mm -hmm. uh thing to there's a huge attack on the family unit and the sacredness of children having children i'm not saying everybody has to have children it's a personal choice and it's no problem if you don't but i think that this idea that somehow your career is more important than your children or this idea that 
that, uh, you know, it's going to be dangerous to bring children into the world. That's, I think, ridiculous. I think, you know, we're way too afraid of that kind of stuff. And it's one of those things you can't live your life in fear. Yeah, your children are going to have to face life and have issues to deal with like we all do. You can't protect your children from from living life, but we're all going to have things that we're facing, but I definitely don't think it's the end of humanity. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we're all going to die. I don't think I don't That's think good. like the world is I don't think like climate change is just going to like destroy all of humanity. I think uh you know, we might go through some things and there might be different very challenging things that happen and some people might die as a result of different things but we all will die at some point so my last song release is about that news flash we're all gonna die (laughs) so why don't you just decide to enjoy the ride because we will all die for sure at some point um it's just a matter of when so if you're gonna be so afraid of death that you're gonna say i'm not even gonna have children or I'm not going to live now, or I think it's ridiculous, you know? But do you think <laughs> that a lot of people of your generation have been educated, or you know, there's been this drumbeat of doom and gloom, um, whether it's, it could be any anything, anything. It just seems like the negativity that this generation, um, I'd say people under the age of 30 have had beaten into their brains here, mm-hmm. um, uh, since childhood yeah it, it, i just do you see a more positive response to that or are you an outlier it, does your generation think that they're going to inherit a world uh better than their parents it just seems like from my because i'm of the mindset i'm a negative guy when it comes to this stuff and i feel so badly for my kids i am the father of three teenagers and I look back at my childhood and what the world was like, and I look at their childhood and what the world is like, and I just feel so terrible. I'm, I'm angry, actually. I'm angry as a dad that it that it's in the situation that it's in. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I like your positive take on this. I just wonder if that's the norm. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if I can really have an accurate picture of what the norm is, right? Because we kind of all have our own communities that we view. So I'm not really sure, I guess maybe through surveys would might be a way to see something more accurately because yeah, I would say within like the entrepreneur space and the spiritual spaces and the spaces of people who are into like bettering themselves, the people who read mindset books and listen to podcasts that better yourself and people who like work out and eat healthy and are constantly transforming themselves for the better, that they have a more positive outlook and they have more of a feeling of I am responsible for what's happening. So rather than being a victim, a lot of people have this victim mentality and I think very it's very prevalent in millennials and Gen Z. And this whole thing with millennials like, oh, boomers tanked the economy and blah, 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 or whatever. It's like, okay, you know, and I would say, yeah, there's definitely a financial uh, higher pressure financially with housing prices being so high and the cost of living being so high and wages being less in comparison to that. So there's no doubt that there is like a little bit more difficulty in certain areas. But since when are we going to just shy away from difficulty and say, oh, because it's a little more difficult in certain ways that I'm just going to like give up you know, as if you have no level of power in the situation, as if there's absolutely nothing you can do to to yeah. do something about this. And that's very disempowering. And, you know, if the people who are more in the mindset of I'm co-creating this, they're more likely to be more successful. And there could be a million opportunities there in front of you. And you won't see them if you constantly reinforce this mantra of like, the economy is bad, you know, capitalism sucks, blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> you're just not going to see, like, you could be making a lot of money with an e-commerce business. I'm not saying that it's, like, super simple and happens in one day, you know, but with there are opportunities available that you won't be seeing or taking if you have a certain mindset. So I think, you know, millennials and Gen Z would definitely 
be helped to decide that I'm not going to be a victim. So if you just say, um, I refuse to be a victim, then you actually gain your power back. And you it's easy to want to shy away from responsibility and blame other people for what's going on. But it's there's a seduction to want to like fall into that because then you don't have the blame. But mm-hmm. But it's not going to leave you happy. So... I would say if you want to be happy, then take 100% responsibility for your life and just step by step, build it into something that you want to be living. I like it. I like it. If people want to check out your music and all of your uh, social media handles, it, it it's very conveniently placed. If you just go to linabellmusic.com, uh, L-E-N-A, B-E-L-L-E music.com, linabellmusic.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom and you've got it so conveniently set up with the YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, all of your social media links. Facebook is on there. People can check out uh, where you are on social media and all of your new music. Congratulations on the new album. I wish you great success. Um, I really hope that the future is as bright for you as you are determined it will be. And uh, I, I appreciate it. Have we Have we covered everything today? Is there anything we've missed that you want to share with us? I feel pretty good. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. And just hope that everybody took something out of this for themselves and makes your life a little happier. Thank you. All right. Well, lenabellmusic.com. Lena, thanks so much for joining us here on At The Mic. Thank you so much, Keith. It was so great getting to know Lena Bell. I hope you'll check out her music. She is a very talented artist. Now, next week, I sat down with a guy that I have listened to and seen over the years. Uh, it's, it's such a joy to sit down with Dr. Drew Pinsky and hear about his career, not only as a doctor, but obviously in broadcasting as well. He has a lot of stories to tell, and he will share them with us next week. Dr. Drew Pinsky here on At The Mic. And until that time when we get together again, I hope you will share this show with your friends and family who need some good conversations in their life. You could send them the direct website link at themicshow.com. You could head over to Spotify and iTunes where a five-star rating would be so much appreciated. And don't forget our pretty new YouTube channel. We've never really spent a lot of time uh, discussing it here on the podcast, but youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith is another way uh, to enjoy this show and also some uh, other videos there besides just the podcast. So do check it out. I hope you will subscribe over there and don't forget to click the bell so that you get notified every time there's a new video posted. Like I said, it's not always the podcast. There's some other stuff we've done over there um, with episode two guest Hillary Kennedy, as a matter of fact. So be sure to check that out. YouTube.com slash at the mic with Keith. Well, until next time, please go be free and thank you for listening. This has been at the mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to at the mic for archived episodes, sponsor information and ways to connect.